0: Welcome to Oh My Word, podcast about Watford in the 1990s by Matthew and Michael. You probably know the drill by now. We are going through the seasons, taking a, you know, deeply analytical approach to events. Uh, the key players, the really crap ones, uh, the managers, the fans uh, and memorable moments throughout each season. This season we're talking about is the 1996-97. Uh, uh, I think, you know, we we put out a call uh, to see what what people remembered about this one draws was the immediate response but there was more to it than that uh and I think we you know we're going to try and unpick uh some of the key events and the story of this season um which actually was in the end quite an important one but but we will we will try to sort of tell the story as we could normally do and uh, and put out some of those key moments for you so hello Matt how are you doing Hello,
1: I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, slightly nervous about this, but uh, <laughs> I think we'll get, I think we'll find some interesting storylines yeah. to tell about what was otherwise a fairly forgettable season yeah. for Watford.
0: If it was a color, it would be a grey season. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah. Be- yeah, beige so this is beige. Mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a very beige season. Um, so tell us what tell us it's 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 the summer of ninety six. What the what the hell's going on?
1: Heady days, yeah. So. Um, after the run in, the extremely exciting but ultimately ill starred run in at the end of the previous season, uh, Kenny Jacket is now solely in charge of the first team. Luther is his assistant, uh, and Taylor is remaining in this sort of general manager, sort of overseeing the operation, I think. Uh, but there is a lot of pressure on Jacket, you know, it's his first proper managerial job. Anything other than promotion is going to be seen as a failure. Really, I think you know Watford are so it's our first time dropped, dropping down to this level in a long time. The kind of sense is we kept enough of the squad that whilst they weren't good enough for the previous uh, in 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 the division above, there's a sense that these are uh, these guys can get us out of this. And in terms of playing movements. We bring in Alec Chamberlain, uh, forty grand goalkeeper from Sunderland. Steve Tallboys, uh, centrum, experienced central midfielder. I think by this point from Wimbledon, and Richard Flash, who's a very young midfielder from from Wolves, who Graham Taylor would presumably
0: have known. Ch- Chamberlain was Chamberlain was brought in as he he was the reserve keeper though, wasn't he? He wasn't because we still had he Kevin was. Miller at this time as well.
1: Yeah, so yeah, Miller's Miller's very definitely number one. Yeah. Um, Chamberlain, I think, brought in as. Someone to challenge, but perhaps not make a a serious challenge. You know, it wasn't wasn't going to be the pressure wasn't going to be on Miller straight away. Um, So it's interesting to see how how Chamberlain's career worked out for Watford. You know, he he was already let's let's be polite and say experienced at this stage, but for him to to stick around for ten plus years was was an extraordinary achievement. Um, He gets his chance a few times in this season. Uh, and it's, But it's the following season that he'll really sort of emerge as a, a key Watford player. Going out the door, Andy Hessentiler, 235 grand to Gillingham. So a bit acrimonious at the time, as I remember. Do you, do you yeah. have a strong memory of his exit?
0: I think there was a lot of, uh, yeah, the, 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 the perception of it, which I think Hessentiler was a bit fed up about, was um, that he was seen as sort of like being a bit of a greedy money grabber and that he wanted, yeah. you know... Well, more than the club were prepared to offer, and you know, I think his version of events is a bit different to that. And that it was about sort of length of contracts, and you know, yeah. actually, Gillingham off just were prepared to offer him a more sort of longer-term commitment, which at his stage in the career was that's what he wanted. I mean, it's not yeah. as, going from that was to a lot of people would have been seen as a step down, wouldn't it? Going from a, if Gillingham were undoubtedly mm. a smaller club than Watford, and um, uh, mm. but but yeah, it was. It was quite acrimonious and it wasn't how you would hope for a player like him to depart, I think, in terms of like what he'd obviously yeah. contributed during his time at Watford to then leave in those terms and with a bit of ill feeling at the time. I think I think that's probably past now. I think most people who are fans then will yeah, recognise so. that he was a great player for Watford in the 90s. But yeah,
1: yeah.
0: it was bad vibes at the time for sure. Was bad vibes at the yeah. time.
1: Probably a few of bad vibes when Jamie Morley left. <laughs> uh his his unsuccessful stint at Watford was was over and he joined Crew on a free transfer. Uh Derek Payne also on a free to Peterborough. Kerry Dixon left. Uh he wasn't at the club for very long, obviously. Uh and joined the yeah. player manager.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, exactly that. Um, another play that was released was Nigel Gibbs. Uh, I'd forgotten about this, actually. Um, But he continued training with the club and um, signed a month-to-month contract. Uh, And again, you know, don't think I'm spoiling the story to say that he ended up, you know, signing a proper contract with the club and sticking around for a good few more years. Uh, Very pleased we are about that. So then, yeah, despite the relegation, there is this kind of the core of that squad has remained. But no, no fresh investment. We have dropped down, so you can understand what the the club would need to sort of cut the cloth accordingly. But, it was, you know, still under Petchy's ownership uh, and still no investment from him.
0: bruce McDuck still at the helm.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was at home diving off a diving board into his, <laughs> his piles of coins, but wouldn't wouldn't bring any of them to Vicarage. I think Ray.
0: every season that we've started, it feels like we've said, but there were very little incomings at uh, Vicarage <laughs> every summer as sort of, yeah. these these 20 players left, and we signed one reserve goalkeeper and that's basically the sum <laughs> yeah. total. That's just, exactly. you can just copy and paste that into every episode. So far. I can
1: do, I can do. Yeah, I'm definitely going to keep this bit and just use it again. But you're absolutely right. What it does leave us with is a small squad that is therefore, you know, susceptible to these injury crises that we seem to have every single season. If you don't flesh out the squad with, with good quality squad players, you're really going to struggle. And, you know, guess what? That happened again this year. It happens every year. You know, the, the people that were brought in to supplement the, the the first team were were youth team players. Um Connolly had already had his his kind of shining moment in the previous season, and he was still there. And this season sees the emergence of Gifton, Noel Williams, uh Wayne Andrews, Clint Easton, Darren Ward, and Paul Robinson also play a decent number of games each. So these are these are players that would hang around for various amounts of time, each of them, but, uh, it, you know, in their Watford careers, but this is where they all got their start. Speaking of younger players, Robert Page is he's now kind of firmly established as a, a first-choice centre-back, and he's named as captain after Hessen Tyler's exit. So this is kind of a bit of a rejig in the central defence, just in the pecking order more than anything else. You've got Millen and Page, who are seen as, I think, the, the primary two. Jacket plays around with a with a back three at the beginning of the season and Steve Palmer is involved there. But then you've got David Holdsworth and Colin Foster and they they're they're pretty out of favor for a couple of reasons. But yeah, Page has kind of leapfrogged a lot of them uh, and is installed in captain. you know people I think people could see at the time what a mature player he was, kind of wise beyond his years. So you know looking back, it's no surprise to see that he was named as club captain at 21. It doesn't seem strange at all.
0: Yeah, but it's still a, it's it's pretty remarkable, isn't it, to be named captain at that age? I think it's not it's not it doesn't happen very. Oh, it often. is. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was just think with the benefit of hindsight, it doesn't seem quite so strange because of the career that he's yeah. gone on to have. But yeah, certainly at the time, you know, that would have raised a lot of eyebrows. Yeah,
0: it? yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it's just the you know, managers can obviously see certain characteristics in a player, and it was was he evident in Robert Page that he had those sort of leadership qualities obviously must have carried himself very well in the dressing room at quite a young age to be able to you know be the alpha i guess of the group at 21 exactly There's a lot of senior pros in that team there's a lot of like like guys who played a lot of football you know you think of like players like by that stage you had players like tommy mooney gary porter craig ramage etc like they're all you know kevin miller They'd all played a lot of games, uh, uh, you know, in, in the first division and then in the second yeah. division. And you've got a 21-year-old as captain, but
1: taking orders from this Welsh yeah. kid.
0: Well, well, we'll come on to see how that works out um, uh, over the next few seasons, I guess. Um...
1: We will indeed, yeah. So, so kind of just to, to kind of like sum up the squad. I think you know we've got some good defensive options, like last season. The the, the midfield is industrious and workmanlike, but where's the creativity? Uh, and, and up front, we've got we've got Devon White, but other than that, we've got some decent finishers, but not a lot of kind of creativity and presence kind of in forward areas. You know, David Connolly and Kevin Phillips, when fit, can be relied upon to score goals, but, but who, who's making the chances for them to score those goals? Connolly is now a full international as well. He broke through, obviously, at the end of last season and got his chance with Republic of Ireland over the summer. And what would they be wearing? They'd be wearing the same home kit, ctx uh are coming in to replace blau Punks as a shirt sponsor i'm kind of tempted to just start m- mocking up some audio ads for some of these sponsors and just slipping them in as if they are podcast sponsors and I can try and imagine what ctx would uh, would want to say as their brand messaging uh but they also appear on the away kit and this is the the ac milan away kit the the red and black vertical stripes with with white shorts so i think kind of joining the dots now following on from our our last episode with with pete fincham and Thanks, everybody, for the great feedback on that. We really enjoyed having Pete on, and it was great to hear his stories. I think this season gave Pete and a number of fans like him an opportunity to tick off a load of grounds they'd never been to before. I went to a couple of away games this season, and it was a relatively eye-opening experience. Um, in the early 90s, before the Taylor Report, before some of these grounds were modernised, there were some terrible grounds in the top divisions, um, but there are some even even worse ones lower down. What was your match going experience like this year, Michael?
0: So I had quite a limited match going experience uh this season because weekends were working in uh, the motorist center, which uh, for people in the, the sort of home counties will be maybe be familiar with it's a sort of like a, a budget sort of low-rent version of Halford's, basically. Um and that was my that was my Saturday and Sunday morning job for for the foreseeable, um, uh, which you know, so I was basically selling people uh, uh, engine oil and oil filters and windscreen wipers and things like that. Even though I knew nothing about cars at all, but um, uh, so it did. It was restricting my opportunities to to get to Vicarage Road um, this season, which I hated. I absolutely hated not being able to go to football whenever I wanted because I was just getting really used to it. But I also needed some money, so um, so more midweek games they were the priorities for me um and the odd the odd weekend game if i was you know got the saturday off work then i would go to football mm. uh but it was yeah it was it was strange that the fixture list when you looked at the fixes and it came out i mean it did there was it's a lot it's interesting just seeing who is in that division at the time really in terms of you know you've got teams like york in there haven't you um mm. uh there are um clubs like you know uh, Burnley were in there with us as well you know like there's um mm. uh Bournemouth obviously down there a few others as well that I think are not um either sort of not in a league anymore or uh, um certainly struggling and I think or Bury Bury uh, you obviously don't exist uh anymore and you know yeah. um yeah. it was it was a bit of a sharp dose of reality looking through the fixture list for this season and seeing who we were up against I guess because it did feel like you really going through the provinces now um <laughs> <laughs> um not to not to pay any disrespect to them uh but it was yeah it was it was it was suddenly like i don't i don't know who half of these teams are or or, or where they are but as we discussed with pete last week that's the the beauty of following a, a football team is that you get to put some dots on the map in terms of uh exactly. where these towns are and uh you get an education. Yeah, education, time, exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: Just, just lastly, before we jump in properly, this is the internet age is very much upon us now, and it's funny going back and looking at the programs because they're they're mocked up like a Windows ninety five <laughs> desktop. <laughs> each of the pages is its window and it's got kind of well it essentially looks like what the Watford observer website looks like now kind of all these like ad sections and pop-ups and things like that kind of cascading windows on top of each other exactly all these kind of like modals and pop-ups and stuff it's it looks horrible um but but look very futuristic at the time
0: i remember i think they weren't the only people to do that i think that was a bit of a thing at the time sort of oh it yeah. absolutely was a thing yeah yeah this was a
1: kind of one of the you know prevailing cultural aesthetics. yeah make
0: your written content look like it's digital basically it was uh because um, that's what everyone really wants obviously <laughs> yeah we all have a, a cyber <laughs> program <laughs>
1: Outside of football, just very briefly, in terms of broader culture stuff, this is um, Oasis played networth this summer before the season started, which was kind of a I was big there. deal for Yeah, I thought you might yep. have been. How did that go uh, for you? Uh,
0: as far as my like Oasis gig going went, that was definitely like the worst Oasis gig. Um, it was not. It, it just like it was a big event, but it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't a particularly good gig, but it was very like it was extremely nineties because it was a bit like a sort of one-day festival because you had uh, the Manic Street Preachers, Ocean Colour Scene, Chemical Brothers, and Prodigy. Yeah. I think were there as well, so it was a it was good. They were all probably all worth seeing more than Oasis on that day, who I think were off yeah. their heads and did not play a particularly good show. But did
1: you, have you seen the documentary? I haven't Super-S-
0: yet. Is no. No. I've seen Supersonic, uh, but they now brought out like a Nebworth live uh film yeah. as well which i haven't seen yet i'll get around to watching it at some point but yeah
1: uh, worth watching that i think uh the prevailing wisdom now is that oasis probably should have called it a day then. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they didn't some some would say earlier yeah. but um anyway um the spice girls also we saw the birth of the spice girls around this time and tfi friday i've forgotten about a tfi friday this is kind of this is brit brit pop the the program yeah.
0: isn't it um and lad culture as well lad,
1: exactly that exactly that and uh and train spotting was released as well around the time around the beginning of the season kind of uh a fun film that me and my friends went to watch
0: certainly was a fun watch yeah
1: <laughs> yeah do you want to get us going in the season then michael how are we doing at the beginning of it
0: yeah so as you said reasonable expectations going into the start of the season because of the you know just what well, they just always are when you've been relegated you always think well we weren't good enough for, for that league, but we should be good enough for this one. Headed down to the south coast. It was a sunny sunny August day down in Bournemouth. Our, our lovely friends, Bournemouth. We didn't have quite the um, intense rivalry and loathing that we have with Bournemouth now. Uh, uh, certainly, I don't remember it that way anyway. But we did go down there expecting to get a result at Dean Court. And we did on the opening day, 2-1, thanks to David Connolly and, and Devon White, the big man, little man partnership uh, nice sunny day uh, and Watford played a 3-4-3 formation very sort of revolutionary from from Jacket they're trying to obviously trying to make them a bit more dynamic um, uh, we'll see how that works out over the over the next few weeks it was followed by three defeats with no goals scored <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, so the new formation taking a little bit of uh, uh, fine-tuning and betting in, I think you know. It, it, the other thing to note from that opening uh, few games is uh, David Connolly injured his hamstring uh, in the third game of the season and would miss the next ten games. So uh, immediately, as you mentioned, like the, the, the concerns about players getting injured uh, and the strain that we put on the squad. Connolly, I think, would have been expected to hit the ground running after a decent end to last season where he scored mm-hmm. a few goals. You'd hope that at this level, he'd be a bit of a handful and. and you know, be scoring quite regularly, but he's out. And we really for, needed him as well because yeah. Phillips
1: is out injured. He's
0: out way. for, yeah. I mean, Phillips is just for the, a long out, time. out of the equation. He's he's not even, you know, a consideration, at least for the first half of the season, really. So um, so Connolly is expected to carry the burden of the goal scorer and he's out for 10 games. So, um, so that is not a great start. Uh, after those three defeats, they get a bit of a, an upturn in form again. Uh, with uh, several wins on the bounce in league and cup, and we start to see a few different goal scorers getting involved, trying to pick up the slack. I think it's worth noting um, Wayne Andrews during this early stage of the season. So here's mm. another youth team graduate. Incredibly quick, I remember about Wayne Andrews like yeah. really, really uh, rapid acceleration, very, very fast. Um, not all could sometimes sort of look a bit. Uh, uh, get a bit closed out of games and struggled to impose himself I think a, a bit but he was very young and, and raw and so we're still sort of learning the, the, the finer arts of uh, forward play at this level uh, where things could get a bit rough and, and dirty but but he's, he scores a couple of goals I think a particularly good one was um, during a run of, uh, of five victories um, uh, in League and Cup was an away game at Notts County uh, Tommy Mooney scored a brace. Um, so and we were 2-0 up, pegged back to two all uh in the last 10 minutes. And and Wayne Andrews scores a really well taken winner in the in the last minute, where he sort of holds off a defender on the run and manages to sort of angle his his finish past past the goalkeeper. And things are looking, you know, not it's not a bad start for considering we dropped down here. The opening few games uh were we were not great um, uh, and we were really struggling for goals but then having sort of swung that around again and got a few wins on the bounce we'd, we'd seen off Walsall in the League Cup after losing the first leg and got through to the next round uh, and then got a few victories in the League at home and away Jacket had abandoned fairly quickly his 3-4-3 three, three. I think uh, the, the great experiment um, had been concluded to be a failure fairly early on so we went back to a good old fashioned 4-4-2 but we won four league games in a row after a, a, a pretty um, uh, unimpressive start and um, and have gone up to to second. So overall you'd say that's that's not a bad return on your your first few games of the season as we sort of motored through September. The last game I'll just sort of touch on was the the league Cup um, the next round of the league Cup was against Sunderland and worth noting here that Tony Coton, was playing for Sunderland, who'd been promoted to the Premier League the season before. So another old boy returned and um, kept a clean sheet as, uh, as Sunderland won two nil. But Coaten still uh, doing the business between the sticks. Um, I think he got in a
1: bit of uh, a bit of afters
0: with one of our players. I can't remember who it was. Yeah,
1: I think there was a bit of. I mean, it might it might have just been absolutely nothing and just a, just a bit of verbal or something like that. But okay, I can remember the crowd kind of having a moan at Coton and then just kind of forgetting about it immediately afterwards because it's Tony Cotton. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. So, yeah. So then, Matt, tell us sort of where we went from there.
1: Well, you've, you've taken us through to, where are we? Kind of mid to late September. Yeah. Uh, a few wins, a few losses, no draws though. Kenny Jacket notes that there haven't been any draws yet. Uh, he, he does this in one of his, his programme notes and it was just po- probably just the most stupid thing he could, possibly could have said because we go on this run, starting in sort of October-ish, where we, just, where we do very little other than draw matches. It becomes becomes an incredibly boring period. Um, that Peterborough game was unfortunate because we lose three players to injury. Um, two of them are quite serious. Wayne Andrews goes off injured. Ramis goes off having torn his knee ligaments. And Gary Porter goes off with uh, what's later diagnosed as a broken leg, which means that that's the last game that Gary Porter plays for. Watford. He was released from his contract at the end of the season, so...
0: Bit of a shocker. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he wouldn't have planned it to have ended like that. I mean, he didn't have a good season in the previous season, in uh, 95, 96. But I think we can we can look back on Porter's Watford career, a long Watford career. Uh, you know, there are obvious highlights, the hat-trick uh, against Bolton being one of them. But, you know, a good servant to the club, you know, it, it, it kind of had to fill in at left-back in the later part of his career, and he absolutely was not a left-back. But, you know, a great left-sided player, Generally brought some creativity to the team and was was a good a good on set pieces as well. Yeah. So I've got nothing but good things to say about Harry Porter. Really,
0: yeah, no, agreed. Just uh, yeah, a bit of a shocker to have a, an injury treble like that in one game.
1: And but yeah, particularly two of them. You know, you'd, you'd be expecting on form. You'd be expecting Ramage and Porter to be starting every match, mm. and for them to have long, essentially long term injuries. That's it that doesn't bode terribly well. We play the second leg of the Sunderland game next, and this is notable because 16-year-old Gifton Noel Williams uh, comes on. He's on the bench. He comes off uh, to be our youngest ever player, and kind of really the the creative spark in the in the team now with with Ramage and Portrout is Gary Penrice, which probably isn't a great place to be. Uh, Penrice, you know, does okay actually in this season because he has to. He's the only player that can. Be relied upon to have any sort of, I think, guile and creativity in that 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 area of midfield where he's where he has to play. Um, he's no longer playing as a striker, but we don't play a formation where he can kind of sit behind the strikers either. So He's very much one of the two in central midfield, uh, which you would never would have expected when we have when we first signed Gary uh, Gary Penrice back in the day. But he's there and he's got to do a job, and he kind of ends up do, doing it relatively well. We play Preston at the beginning of October. And that sets us on the start of a 22-game unbeaten run in the league. So bear in mind, we're sixth at the time. So you'd think that that 22-game unbeaten run is going to end in just handing us the championship trophy there and then. But it didn't quite work out that way. Around this time as well, I, I mentioned earlier about the rejig of the um, central defensive sort of hierarchy, if you like. And having not appeared all season, David Holdsworth is sold uh, to Sheffield United for 450 grand. So I think that's if he's your essentially your fourth or perhaps even fifth choice centre back in the third tier to get 450 grand for him, it, it is great. I mean, he's got, he's, got, he's joining a bigger club. Let's make no argument about that. You know, it wasn't just because of form that he was being left out. There, were, there were contracts disputes and and the fact that he probably did want to want to make a move anyway. Uh, but Colin Foster is also put on the transfer list at this time. So, you know, he, he'd done so well when he came in and then his form kind of tailed off, I think. I think his, his lack of pace caught up with him somewhat and his positioning kind of let him down a bit. Uh, and and by this time, yeah, he was, he's more or less out of the picture. Um, there was a Watford Observer interview with Taylor around this time and he says, what you see is what you get. And what by that, what he means is there's no money available for... The transfers you know we we might sell someone for 450 grand but it's not going to be reinvested back into the squad so you know the same story that we hear every season as you mentioned as you mentioned at the beginning but I remember there being a bit of consternation about that about Taylor kind of getting involved in his his, his overseeing role and, and kind of saying that but he was just making clear to the fans I think well, what needed to be said you know we shouldn't be expecting as fans we shouldn't be expecting to see huge investment because just the money wasn't there we end this period kind of the end of october we we draw against luton and it's um the fifth draw in a row and i was there at this match and i remember dominic Ludden got injured very early on and he was replaced by a uh, 17 year old paul robinson off the bench For i'm fairly sure that was his debut but <laughs> my boy biding memory of it is it's him walking on the pitch and kind of looking at Keith Millen next to him. And Keith Millen's going, no, you need to stand there. Like, you know, you need to, you need to do this. And he's kind <laughs> of, you think that Robinson would have this stuff, you know, he's obviously been playing football all of his 17 years, most of his 17 years. But yeah, the, I don't know if the moment was too much for him or not, but he acquitted he himself well. Um, we drew a match one All Paul Schauler scored a pretty powerful goal for Luton. They took the lead with about 15 minutes to go. But I think a lot of what for fans... Who who remember this era will remember Darren Baisley scoring a last minute equaliser. It was a bit of an ugly goal, but the uh, the fans spilled on the pitch afterwards to celebrate. Were you uh, were you one of those fans or were you uh, uh, the the fake Alfords that day?
0: No, no, because it was a midweek game, so I was at this one. It was. I uh, oh, was it. I was
1: at it as well. I just don't remember it was midweek. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, it was a, it was either a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. So, being some me and some mates went uh, to this one. I remember going in my mate's Vauxhall Astra, and we were a bit late, so he was possibly going a little bit over the speed limit on the, uh, on the A41. Um, and his his, his, his car was just sort of shaking and the steering wheel was shaking. <laughs> as it, it felt like it was about to explode because we were trying to get there for kickoff. But uh, uh, yeah, it was an awful game from, from um, uh I, I remember like there being quite a, a, a decent atmosphere for it. Um, but it was it was an absolute shocker in terms of quality and i agree mm. with you like i think Watford were probably quite fortunate to get something out of it um uh but they did and uh and i wasn't on the pitch but but they were good scenes uh and uh, must have been particularly unpleasant for luton to witness i must have thought that they'd nicked it but but there we are uh still no no victory for watford though against luton i think so no. far we haven't we haven't reported on a single Vic. I think the only Vic time we've beaten Luton in the nineties so far was in a um uh, maybe in an Anglo-Italian cup. I think we uh we beat them in uh, at home in front of about twelve people. But someone probably like Alex Inglethorpe. I think it I think it may well have been Alex Inglethorpe, uh, yes. Uh. Um but uh, and that doesn't really it just doesn't really count does it um it's like no, beating, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a first team match, It's it. a bit like beating them in the evening standard five-a-side masters it's <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. it, it's not it doesn't quite it doesn't quite count but so where are we we uh we draw that game and we end october in 7th so just outside the playoffs uh, and you know it's been very up and down so far we've had a few good runs um uh but uh, as you said matt we've know, we're on this. We've begun this unbeaten run, but there's been a lot of draws. So we need to start turning some of those um, uh, into wins if we're really going to start to have a decent chance of automatic promotion. And November starts pretty well. We offer, I suppose, the first bit of good news: Nigel Gibbs is finally offered uh, a proper contract. I I don't recall a situation like this before, where you've had a really long-serving player who's essentially released, then stays with the club. Trains really hard, proves themselves, and then gets re-signed again, and um, and goes on to play a load more games for them. It's quite, yeah. an, it's quite an unusual circumstances, so I guess. You wouldn't expect it to pan out that way. I, I I'm, I'm guessing that this is purely down to it was purely down to finances, and Gibbs had had like he basically had two years out with injury, hadn't he? And the yeah. club had, to, you know, he had to prove that he before they handed him a contract that. Could,
1: it's probably probably is is illustrated by the fact that you know he played most of the games, but it wasn't until the beginning of November yeah. that he was he was offered this contract. So yeah. you know they really were looking to ensure that he was going to get fit and stay fit.
0: Yeah, which must have been a, a, a difficult time for him, I suppose as well. Because in the back yeah. of your mind is like, if I if I get another injury now, that's I'm done basically. It's, yeah. I'm finished because no one will give me a contract now if if I get injured again. So having to perform play well to sort of prove that he's still got something and just cross everything that you don't get an injury thankfully he didn't and he celebrated his new contract with a goal against Brentford so another rare Nigel Gibbs goal um so a good a good home win against Brentford 2-0 and uh and they're back up and running at this point Devin White uh has he's probably got it's fair to say he's, He's got the crowd a little bit on his back. Um, he's he's been in the team, but he's not scoring, he, and he's you know he's never really apart from a, a short spell at the end of last season. He's never been a regular goal scorer. He's only scored twice so far this season, and he's dropped uh, for this game against Brentford and and, and replaced by Gifton Noel Williams. So you mentioned earlier him making his debut, but Gifton is now uh, getting into the starting lineup, so clearly impressing the coaches to the point that a sixteen-year-old. Is considered ready to to start at this level. We uh we we have a few more positive results during the next few weeks in the uh, FA Cup first round. We're away at Northampton, and it's just I'm pulling this one out because a it's our first first round FA Cup match since the 1970s. So we you know we hadn't been involved at this stage for a long time. Um, uh, uh, but also because it was won by a very sweet left-footed curler from Darren Baisley. Um, He sort of cuts in from the touchline and sends a swooping one right into the the top corner. And uh, I think this game was on TV as a, one of the televised first-round matches because I remember I remember seeing that, that that goal from Baisley flying into the net. What the TV cameras or TV you know uh, network that was covering it won't have had was mike vince's inimitable commentary because this was also featured an oh my word as uh as basically struck that one and it hit the back of the net so lovely to hear mike uh marking a, a, a sweet strike in his own unique style and uh i think it was a strike that was worthy of an oh my word because it was a real beauty we move on we move on uh uh we faced wickham wanderers uh this was our first meeting against Wickham in the um, in the football league, uh, and uh, we won it with a very late winner from David Connolly, which then brought us to a home tie against Blackpool. Match finished to all, but it's notable for a couple of things. Firstly, um, uh, Stuart Slater had signed uh, on a free from Leicester, and I don't know uh, how much people sort of knew about Slater, but he was. He would started when he was a young player. He was really rated, Stuart Slater, particularly when he was at West Ham. He was one of those players who people thought was going to go on to do really good things. He was a really, really sort of talented winger, very tricky, um, excellent like dribbler, just a real natural sort of ability to go past players as you used to see, like proper old-fashioned winger who could just... Weaving and out of tackles and, uh, and and beat his man and and put crosses in and we hadn't had much of that, have we? At Watford at that time, so no, it was, not at all. so it was it was a real it was quite exciting to have someone with that talent. But obviously, he came with the caveat for that is you know he came with a pretty bad injury record as well and had, had suffered a lot of bad injuries I think over his career to to date. So you were never sure exactly how many games you were going to get out of him. But but we signed him. And then the, the biggest story from this game was Gifton. Gifton becomes the youngest ever goal scorer, um, which uh, several of our listeners have picked out as, you know, Paul Goldsmith and several others, I think, picked out as their one of their moments of the season. A fantastic moment for, you know, one of the you know, the great young players of this era, um, to to get on a score sheet age 16. It was, you know, a bit of a bit of a scrappy goal, but he the, a smart finish in the end, he sort of latched onto a loose ball in the box and smashed it home. So um yeah, he'd had
1: some chances in the in the matches yeah. running up to it, hadn't he? Some good chances as well. Yeah. So obviously like absolutely delighted for him to, to 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 finally break his duck.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um that followed uh, uh four more draws in the league though. so that was uh that was the first of five uh, consecutive draws. In the league, which um, is is not great, they just couldn't. They just couldn't win matches. I either. the goals were the real problem. There was just you know a lack of cutting edge up front. I think um, for Watford at this time, lots of very boring games. I will pull out the cup game. We played Ashford Town in the second round, a non-league side, so we were obviously fancy to go through. It was actually nil-nil after sixty minutes, but we ended up winning five-nil with. David Connolly coming on as a sub uh, and scoring a hat trick against a, a, a part-time defence. I believe this was the game where he was famously quoted afterwards as saying I have nothing to prove at this level which irked uh, uh, many fans uh, uh, in hindsight who you know obviously went on to um have a bit of a reputation as having a bit of a big head and believing he was a bit, you know, better. Better than Watford, but um but he did score a very smartly taken hat trick and we needed his goals at the time. So um we'll talk about Connolly some more towards the end of the season, I'm sure. Uh last thing I want to say about this this period, Notts County at home on Boxing Day. So uh, <laughs> another board draw, nil-nil. We'd played we played Gillingham on the 21st of December and Notts County on the 26th, and they were They were both at home and they were both nil-nil and they were both incredibly dull. Uh, So talk about, you know, a ball fest to celebrate your Christmas. Pete Finch Finch called this the Christmas of hate, which um, I can't argue with. I mean, two nil draws, yeah, really really summed up this period and, you know, the the struggle that we're having turning draws into wins um, going into the new year, Matt.
1: Yeah, well, we, we do get a win at the beginning of the year, but it's uh, it's against Torquay in the Auto Windscreen Shield. It's our first match in the Auto Windscreen Shield. So, two thousand two hundred ninety eight people can say that they were there, and I don't think this is one of those Peterboroughs or or Sunderland's or Southampton's where many many poor many many more people claim to be there. I think probably people will say that they weren't there, even if they were. It was really really cold, heavy snow, and there's uh, there in in the reports after the match. Uh, were that if Torquay had taken, had scored and it had gone to extra time, the match would have been abandoned at that point and would have had to have been replayed. But luckily, uh, Paige and Connolly with a penalty score, and we beat, we beat Torquay 2-1 and, and go through to the next round. We have another cup game. So after having beaten um, Northampton and Ashford Town, we draw Oxford in the third round of the FA Cup at home. Uh, and the match was, was postponed twice. So it was postponed once. Then it was postponed, like literally at kickoff, and then so this was the third time that the match was due to be played. And before kickoff, there was a floodlight failure. They did manage to get the game going, but it started an hour late. Despite all this disruption, it ended up being one of our best performances of the season. Uh, I enjoyed Devon White's goal, which was good, it was kind of not what the sort of goal that Noel Williams would would go on to sort of claim as his own, you know. Good chest control, picking the ball out of the air and turning around and finishing into the corner. And the other one was pure route one. He he flicks on a goal kick and and Connolly runs through and scores. But we're through to the fourth round of the FA Cup, which is at least give these cup games, we're winning them and going through, which is at least punctuating the tedium of our league campaign, which, you know, it is, is properly boring. We draw the next match, but at least it's against Luton, so at least it's fairly fairly exciting. Uh, I watched this one on Sky. It was our seventh league draw in a row. It, it was nil nil. I I watched it on Sky, but I don't really remember much about the game. And the watching the highlights didn't really didn't really bring back any great memories. Did it Did it for you?
0: It was another crap game. It was another yeah. it was another very poor, low quality derby. Um, I don't I don't think there's anything more we need to say about it. No, that's
1: in fairness. I probably should have worked that out based on the pattern <laughs> of the season. Yeah, yeah a hard fought draw. Um, we'd only played two games in January. The, the weather was so bad that lots of matches were being postponed. So We had the two two cup games and and two league games. We end January 9th. So you'll remember we started this 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 great league unbeaten run in um, in, in sixth place. Uh, we're we're well into it. You know, we're a couple of months in, but we're, we've dropped down three positions brilliant stuff the the next match is a good home win though it's against rotherham who admittedly were bottom uh, and actually the win is a bit kind of workmanlike and functional but it's notable for the the stuart slater goal which i i think probably ended up winning goal of the season really great control the ball kind he he's on the run the ball kind of comes over his shoulder excellent bit of control to just take it out of the air and this kind of like lob over the keeper kind of a fairly flat lob but but uh but over the keeper and into the backing net from sort of 20 yards or so. That was uh, when I think of Stuart Slater as a Watford player, I don't think of many things because he wasn't around for very long, but I always remember that.
0: Oh, it's a wonderful goal. Wonderful goal. Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the goals of the decade, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it might have been. Yeah. Um,
1: our reward for beating Oxford in the cup was to draw Man City away. Uh, they had Georgie king playing for them at the time. Uh, And Steve Palmer is kind of well established in our central midfield playing alongside Richard Johnson at this point. And he does an excellent, excellent man marking job on King Cladsey, who just does not get a touch of the ball, really, which is, you know, obviously he's their best player at the time. Everyone's trying to give him the ball and Palmer's like a shadow, can't get rid of him. But there's this kind of odd situation where there was a kind of coming together and... I can't remember who the Man City player is. It might be like
0: I think it was Lomas, Steve Lomas. was it Lomas? Steve Lomas.
1: There's a kind of, there's a kind of something happens, but Palmer essentially gets sent off for punching Steve Lomas. But I, I don't really think he connects properly, and it's probably not a closed fist punch. But he has some complaints at the time. But you know, you're going to get sent off today for doing that. So uh, I, I can't imagine it was too different in 1997. But we we lose the match three uh, one. Gifton Noel Williams scores our goal. That means that our twenty two match unbeaten run in all competitions is over, which is a club record. Uh, it keeps going in the in the league for a little while longer. As Stuart Slater plays really well in that match again uh, and gets injured, and so this is at the beginning of February and he doesn't come back until kind of fairly late in the run in. So that's a player that we've you know, we will really miss. You know, he's brought some creativity to the team, some some unpredictability, some pace and some dribbling skill. The quality is possessed by very few of the rest of the Watford team at the time, so so we do miss him. We we bring someone else in on loan, though. It's not a like-for-like like replacement. We're bringing Keith Scott, the striker from, from Norwich. He scores on his debut. We play Brentford away, um, and he scores his kind of, I don't know if it's a fluke or not, but it looks like he means it. He kind of hooks the ball over his shoulder and across the goal and into the into the far corner. Craig Ramage, by this point, has, has he's not featured in the team very much. He has been offered a new contract, but he's turned it down, whether that's due to uh, uh, money or length of contract. Tape, possibly even a desire for him to move closer to the club. I'm not sure. I don't remember what the reason was, but he t- he turned it down and he he goes to Peterborough on loan for a month, with a view to them signing him permanently. Uh, at this early season, we're just not missing him. You know, he hasn't no. he hasn't been in form for more than a year and a half now. I think it's fair to yeah. say he had a poor season last season. Again, kind of rescued slightly by that goal scoring run right at the end, but but really was not turning up uh, and hasn't done anything of any note this season. So so, so he's out the door for a month at least. And also at this time, uh, the, the big football story in the news was that Kevin Keegan had resigned fairly suddenly, as I remember, uh, as Newcastle manager. So he says he's taken them as far as he could. And, and indeed, he brought them up and delivered huge success uh, for them. They were obviously, I think it's fair to say, they were unfortunate not to win the league on that occasion where United overhauled them, uh, you know, had a couple of results gone the other way. Yeah. They, they would have been fine. Um, and Dalgleish takes over. So Dalgleish has obviously worked previously at, uh, at Liverpool and at, and at Blackburn, and now he's in charge of another, another decently sized northern club. Yep. Kevin Phillips comes back from injury. So he's had leg and foot injuries that have kept him out all season, and indeed they would affect him to a certain degree throughout his career. But it, but it was really this season that uh, that saw the worst of it. He he it's halfway through. February before he gets his first game of the season uh, this is in the, his introduction gives him a taste of the auto windscreen shield as well, we beat, we beat Bristol City 2-1 at home with, with Wayne Andrews scoring and Darren Baisley scoring a penalty so it was his turn by this time, this wasn't a season where we missed lots of penalties like some others but, but certainly some different players had taken them throughout the course of the season Mooney's taken them, and Connolly's taken one and, and Baisley here as well our reward for getting through that is to play uh, another windscreen shield just a week later. We lose at home to Peterborough. Um, not a great performance. Um, one notable thing about about this cup match, and indeed cup matches in general this season, is uh, in the league matches, Kenny Jackett gen- generally was fine with putting three out of outfield players on the, on, on the bench. But in the cup matches, he was very safety first and would always have a sub-keeper. Uh, our two senior keepers were, were Kevin Miller and Alec Chamberlain. The youth key, keeper was, I can't remember his first name, Someone maybe David Rogers or something like that. But he wasn't seen as someone that was ready to come in and, and even warm the bench or even, even start a match for the first team. So Jacket would, would sign these keepers on loan from local non-league clubs or they join a non-contract basis. So... For this Peterborough match in the Windscreen Shield, Kevin Mitchell was named on the bench. uh, The only time he was ever named on the bench. But yeah, he did it a couple of other times during the season as well. John Sheffield was with us, Paul O'Reilly. So other other players that presumably lived locally uh, and or were playing for local non-league club. And so that defeat signals the end of our auto-windscreen shield adventure. We've made it through to round four, but... Didn't manage to uh, to crack on into the latter stages of the tournament, and there wouldn't no Wembley appearance uh, this season anyway.
0: But we were still going into we're now sort of getting into late February. We're still unbeaten in the league since October, aren't we? I mean, we're we're still um, uh, uh, proving to be incredibly stubborn in the league, but not particularly effective. Um, we had our first trip to. Adams Park uh, uh, away at Wickham Wanderers, uh, uh, which was another draw. And that was nine consecutive away draws, a league record. So a, a different kind of record to the one that the, the current team has just managed to um, claim in terms of record number of home home defeats. But um, yeah, nine consecutive away draws uh, and another really boring game uh, that finished 0-0. But some good news uh, uh, at the end of the month, uh, home game against Shrewsbury, Kevin Phillips on the score sheet. He scores his first goal of the season on the 25th of February. Welcome back, Kevin. We have missed you. Mm. We have missed you a great deal. Uh, We end February in eighth, a point of the playoffs uh, with a couple of games in hand. And then um, uh, follow that up uh, with a home game against uh, Bristol city and Phillips making up for lost time, bags a hat trick, much better performance and just sort of classic Kevin Phillips, really just three proper Phillips goals where he's just just on the end of things in the box. You know, whenever the ball falls to him, there's some sort of shots that are parried that he then smashes in the rebound or balls that drop and ricochet around and he's there to lash it in. Like he just, that's what he was, he just knew how to do it, didn't he? Like there's just, you know... They're not they're not special goals, but he was so incredibly good at that kind of that kind of chance, that kind of just knowing where to be, which I know is a
1: yeah, knowing where to be and just so instinctive. And I know, and I know that's such a well, massive
0: cliche to talk about strikers, but he 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 did him he he knew how to do that, and you know he went on to do it very successfully throughout his career. But the run, the long run uh, of unbeaten games, then comes comes to a, a, a shuddering halt away at Peterborough United on the fourth of March with a, a two-one defeat. It's a it's a wet pitch, heavy fog, uh, and it's the ghosts of Watford's past and future that, um, that that are our undoing. Ken Charlery scores the first for Peterborough, and then a, a really unexpected one, Aidy Boothroyd uh, scoring the winner for Peterborough from the penalty spot. So, um, uh, a, a a painful defeat for Watford although I see Boothroyd was um had, had absolutely zero connection with the club at, at this stage um and probably was not a, a player that anyone would have remembered I certainly had no recollection of A.D. Boothroyd ever playing or scoring against Watford I know that you did Matt so you get your uh Stato spotters badge for that <laughs> yeah, one thank you uh, yeah, well please. done hard-earned um they lost again at Gillingham. Uh, a fairly brutal encounter at, uh, at Gillingham. Really, sort of outsmarted, I think, a bit by um, by Gillingham, featuring Andy Hessenthaler, Steve Butler. Who both scored. So Watford old boys again getting in on it. Bit of a there's a bit of a celebration um, uh, from hessen so it's Sort of like again the muted. There were no muted celebrations again. It sort of wheels away and starts some sort of half assed uh, acrobatics um, uh, hmm. uh, celebrating that goal, but clearly delighted to get on the score sheet. Ian Grant says this is the game where Richard Johnson turned into the midfield general that we love, uh, and he suspects that he learned it all from watching Hesse in this game, which uh, certainly going up against Hesse Tyler, I think in his, in his pomp for a younger midfielder, you would have learned a, a few things about you know how to play the game. Uh, for sure and I imagine it certainly toughened you up a bit um, as a player having to uh, to go up against someone like that um, uh, so it was it was a tough one it was a chastening experience for Watford that one um, Keith got the lone man gets on the score sheet for Watford but that's So that's that's a fairly grim uh, uh, couple of games which has seen them slip further away from promotion after a, that ridiculous unbeaten run and they're now looking quite a long way off. They need an upturn in form and they get it um, with three one nils on the bounce and uh, three goals from Tommy Mooney. Um, uh, he was playing more as a forward in some of these games. Mooney's been deployed in midfield a lot um, through this season. He's been playing okay sometimes on the left hand side of midfield and um certainly had been rarely used as a striker i think but uh but he had weighed in you know with quite a few goals over the over the course of the season um despite you know coming from midfield and here he's he is playing playing further forward um he's he's had to because Keith scott's returned to to norwich from his loan devon white has been sold to notts county um he'd asked to be transfer listed after losing his place in our Williams. So, so striking options are, are low. Uh, Ramage has returned from his Peterborough loan, but I don't think we're, you know, at this stage, anyone's expecting much from Craig Ramage. I think everyone has accepted that his time at Watford is pretty much done. Um, so, 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 Mooney weighing in with some goals and the defence doing their bit gives us three wins on the bout and suddenly we're back up to joint second. And surely, like, from there... The playoffs have got to be a nailed-on cert, haven't
1: they, Matt? <laughs> you would hope so. You would. You would expect
0: so. On the twenty-second of March, second, you would. You've. You've got to be making the playoffs from there.
1: You have, yeah. And the momentum behind us, you know, after having, you know, we won, won five of our last six league matches, something like that. Five of our last seven. I mean, that's good. That's good going. That's what's brought us up. We've we've managed to arrest the unending run of draws and turn some of them into wins. Uh, like you say, Mooney coming to the fore, Phillips doing a job as well. So um, the run-in should be a good story. <laughs> Unfortunately, we we lose our 16-match unbeaten home run. In the next match, we, we lose to Bournemouth at home. Stuart Slater comes back from injury, but we don't score in four matches. Um, Ramish makes an appearance um, away at Plymouth uh, we lose at home to Crewe and we draw at home to Chesterfield as well. Uh, and that was a much changed Chesterfield side, uh, league side because they were in the middle of their their famous FA Cup run. So they put out the reserves against us and we could still only draw against them away. Um, so yeah, four games, two draws and two losses, but no goals at all. And then out of nowhere, a 4-0 win at home against York. A Stuart Slater masterclass, I think is the... The the received wisdom about this Ramage is you know he has got himself back involved again and he scores twice, uh, Mooney and and Clint Easton with his with his first Watford goal as well. So in that bad run we 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 drop down to sixth and then down to eighth I think as well and then we're back up to sixth again. We uh, we've got five matches to go. Uh, we've just won four Uh Unfortunately we we lose four of those matches and draw the other one. So. So only one one further point. Um, Ramsey scores again in a loss away at Wrexham. Uh, Kevin Phillips is sent off. A really really horrible challenge in that match. He's two footed over the top of the ball. Uh, you know, seems slightly confused that he was getting sent off, but but I thought it was absolutely deserving of a red. That was the last time Kevin Miller would play for Watford as well. He he gets he gets injured. and Alec Chamberlain steps in for the last last three matches of the season, uh, the first of which is against Chesterfield at home, a dreadful home loss to Chesterfield. Uh, Craig Ramage gets sent off and we're down to eight. So, you know, it's slid, slid down from second down to sixth and now eighth again. Uh, and there's there's the the some murmurings of Jacket out as well. So the, the, the fans, the team have, have lost the fans' faith, I think, by this point. Such a terrible end, given that we'd had such a boring season, you know, Need some some excitement at the end of it, and this is this has gone from boring to being terrible, which which is even worse, obviously. So, well, we draw at home against Barry, um, and Barry are the the surprise league leaders, and and indeed, uh, the point they get in this match confirms their promotion. Um, the match is also obviously very notable in Watford Watford folklore. Uh, I remember being there as well. I remember Graham Taylor coming out onto the pitch before the match microphone in hand, tells the crowd that Elton's coming home. Um, Elton John is uh heading up a consortium and has agreed to to buy the club back from Jack Petchy. So that was kind of received like a last minute winner. That was one of those just just like uh just like Taylor's return uh in the Ipswich game in the previous season, yeah. but this was this is okay, Taylor's back, Jacket's back, Blissit's back, and now Elton's back as well. So <laughs> Kind of the sense that you know good things are going to happen, and and the crowd did need that because it was yeah you know, you know dread, dreadful on the pitch. Um, so we draw we draw do draw against Barry, and that means that the the playoffs are officially out of reach for us. So we really have just plummeted down in the last in the last couple of months, and you know big contrast in the in the fans' emotions at full time. It's what I remember remember very clearly about that match is. The Berry fans going absolutely berserk that they've been promoted.
0: Yeah.
1: Possibly their second promotion in a row. Yeah, incredible, well. incredible achievement for them. It's a club. Yeah. They're always absolutely. a small club. They were a small club, yeah. And they've had such an amazing home record this year, which is which is the reason why they're up there, really. Uh but yeah, contrast the wild celebrations in their end with just the drab acceptance that we we're gonna to have to do another, at least another year at this level. Uh, and we round out the season with our heaviest defeat. Um, we lose 4-1 up at Burnley with, with with Keith Millen getting our one. Yeah, so our heaviest defeat of the season. And so that makes it one win in our final 10 matches. That awful. that bright bright spot against York was was the only thing to be proud about. And it's <laughs> seen us fall from second to 13th, yeah. which is catastrophic, really. I
0: know, I know that we've talked about this. Uh, in, in previous seasons in terms of the way that seasons pan out, when it, when there is a lot of... When there's not very much to separate between the teams, when you don't have, like, a, a couple of clear front-runners, like, you know, teams sort of pulling away from the pack, which there wasn't in this season, then that's when you do get these scenarios where you sort of just shoot up and down the, pl- the league places, don't you? And it, within sort of week mm. to week, you can go get a couple of wins, you can go up eight places and you can fall eight places as well with a few defeats. And that, that's that's ultimately, I think, the story of this season for Watford was they never uh, ever looked like they were good enough to, to stay up at the top for any length of time because they could never hold their form for long enough to do that. And they were never, even when they were winning, they were never really winning convincingly. It was very small margins wasn't it a lot of the time they yeah they struggled for goals they struggled to find any sort of consistency any consistent style of play and consistent lineups with injuries and uh they they just struggled like throughout because of that i think to to really impose themselves on this division and you could look at it the other way and say actually you know, having dropped down to go on such a long unbeaten run and to be, you know, up there until late in the season was, it wasn't a disaster. Um But as as fans, it was just, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was hard, it was, it was hard to watch, I think, this season. And it was, I said to you before we recorded it that I had struggled with revisiting this one just because it was it just felt so flat a lot of the time there's just a yeah. lot of like uninspiring stuff and you looked at the teams and the team that Watford were putting out a lot of the time you just thought god this is this is hard work like there's not much to get excited about in that lineup like <laughs> a lot of the time it was they were they were putting the effort in but there wasn't there wasn't much to get your bum out of your seat was there it was no not so. It was it was it was it was pretty it was pretty hard work, and you kind of look back at it and go, yeah, I mean, they were never they were never going to be promoted. This team, I think, if you look at it as, it's easy with hindsight, isn't it? But there was a lot of shifting on that needed to be done with this season, and I think that's probably the the way that most fans look at it now. With you know, hindsight it was like there needed to be this sort of big reset and actually you know we came down with a squad that had you know had failed in it's objective the season before and whenever you've got a load of players who've just been relegated and a lot of like senior players as well then there's inevitably going to be change needed but it's not easy to do all of that at once as we see with Watford at the moment Um, and the current you know the problems that they had last time they were relegated from the Premier League and we'll probably have some similar problems this time uh, you know you have a squad of players uh you have a lot of senior pros and not all of them are going to want to be there not all of them are going to be completely committed um some of them you're you're not going to want as a club or the manager's not going to want anymore and uh and then you have to go through the process of trying to move them on and gradually bring new players in and start to change the team and bring a bit more life into it i think i think if you look at the sort of positives of of this season then there were some there were definitely some some actually quite significant positives i think you know we talked about them at the start of the season but robert robert page's emergence i think you know as a as an actual leader as a as a captain um and injecting a bit more something a bit new into that back line and uh, uh a very you know establishing himself as a real popular figure I mean it's always great when you have a player coming through from your youth team who actually is then putting on the captain's armband and you feel like they've got a connection with the club she was always 100 committed from the first time he ever put on a Watford shirt um and he seemed to sort of grow into the role became a full Welsh international during the season as well and I think that's that's something that you know, Watford would clearly benefit from over the next few years. as page becomes one of their most important players. Gifted Noel Williams, obviously, we talked about, but I mean, to have it's it's exciting to have uh, teenagers come through who can make an impact in the team when they're when they're strikers and when they score goals. Then that is what really sort of. Uh, gets you excited when you're going to a game i think that that's the yeah. kind of player that you want to see coming through the team and everyone knew there was something about gift and i think from quite an early age the coaches certainly did and he had that sort of personality as well i mean even just seeing him interviewed in the the video uh for this season and he's 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 interviewed at the end and he's got that sort of enthusiasm and smile and yeah he's got the beaming smile smile and you can tell he's absolutely buzzing and he's all but he's also really like focused and wanting to he wants it he's really hungry to do more and to yeah to 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 be a success and um that that was you know excite. you were excited for what was going to come from him because you thought well this guy isn't just a one who's going to come in and out. You could tell that he was going to be in and yeah. around the first team. Now, right, he, he got his he's got a taste of it and he wants more.
1: And of course, he featured, you know, played alongside Wayne Andrews, who wasn't that much older than him. No, as well. so Noel Williams and Andrews had this kind of distinction of playing up front together for the first team, but also, you know, they they played together in the in the youth team. This is the season that had that great youth team, yeah. run and and a big a, a win against a you know a decent Man United youth team. So. You know, again, you know, the two of them up front, you know, Wayne Andrews didn't have a, a stellar career in the same way that Gifton almost did. Um, But at the time, you know, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of hope and a lot of excitement, I think, with, with, with those two. Andrews kind of fizzed around a lot at the beginning of the season yeah. and then kind of, I think he obviously tired, whereas Gifton had the opposite effect. You know, he was kind of... He introduced fairly slowly, you know. Had some sub appearances, and then then he got his goal. But then, yeah, he was re- just essentially replaced Devin White, didn't he? And yeah, was a was a fixture in the in the in the fourteen from that point onwards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think of the sort of players who already had first team experience. Um, the, the positives were probably as I mentioned, Tommy Mooney. I think he was starting to add mm. more goals to his game. Certainly contributed quite a few this season which is probably a hint of, you know, what was to come from him and the fact that he hadn't, you know, he hadn't lost his eye for goal. I think because he'd been uh, almost, a, I think players like Mooney could be a bit of a victim of their, you know, enthusiasm and versatility sometimes, at, um, uh, certainly in their early years at Watford, because coaches would just put him in any sort of position to sort of do a job because... Yeah, because you knew that he could. Yeah, you could trust him. He was, you know... Uh, he had a good sort of footballing brain, I guess Mooney was quite versatile. He could, he could do a job in midfield if you needed him to, or, you know, out wide or, um, or, you know, but he, he liked scoring goals clearly and he liked getting into the box uh, and, and getting his shots away and he and he, he knew how to do it. So um, he hadn't lost any of his enthusiasm as well. And you, you know, there was always a sense that Mooney was, you know, happy to be at Watford, I think, despite the fact that they dropped down, you kind of, you know, knew that he was um still committed uh i think the other two that that jumped out at me from this season were steve palmer uh, absolute sort of when we talk about commitment you don't really you don't really need to look much further than steve palmer do you i mean he was mm. solid as a rock i know he's playing a lot in midfield in this season and that sort of defensive midfield role but you knew what you were getting with him absolutely dependable um and another I suppose just you need players like that. You need players like that to build around, and you know having those sort of trusted lieutenants on the pitch that you know are going to go out and just do the do the hard yards for, you, for the team. And and he was absolutely that guy, um, and and clearly demonstrated that this season. And I think Watford was you know invaluable to Watford and proved his worth for for future seasons, which it obviously didn't go unnoticed. And then lastly, I just wanted to pull out Richard Johnson. as you know, I think um, uh, it was Ian Grant mentioned him in sort of like coming of age bit this season, which it wasn't as spectacular a season from him uh, in some ways, but he had become by now the sort of the midfield general for Watford, I think, in terms of just being the... Yeah, and by the end of the season, definitely. Yeah, yeah. he was a sort of all action box-to-box type player, wasn't he, who could um, pick the ball up, you know, win tackles, spray passes around, but could also absolutely leather one in, scored a, a, a beauty against Burnley this season was probably the pick of the bunch where it just sort of runs onto the mm. ball and the first time places it into the top corner. Yeah, um, But yeah, we knew by now we had a very useful player in central midfield who had you know, come through our youth team again. So, um, uh, and had really, yeah, it was an absolute... Yeah, you know, star first name. One of the first names on the team sheet now. I think Johnson. You, uh, you know, really established himself. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. He kind of played played a few games at fullback, hadn't yeah. he? in
0: the,
1: the years before this. Um, yeah. I think that that relationship with Palmer was was kind of a blessing and a curse over across the season because them playing together for a lot of the early part of the season just I think really contributed to this kind of like boring, stodgy, turgid mm. football that we were playing. There's but both of whom were predominantly defensive minded and were able to shield the defense well and perhaps win the ball back and but but they couldn't join the midfield to the attack uh and it took it took that that uh not quite a reinvention but just johnson just seemed to get better at everything at the same time yeah um and 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 it took that to happen um to turn it from a you know industrious midfield into a a properly functioning one yeah um, so yeah, brilliant. Really pleased with uh, that. The Jono kind of made his mark this year.
0: But I think you've touched on. Well, you, you certainly touched on one of the the negatives there, which was just some pretty awful football for large parts of the season. Like yeah. uninspiring, you know, pedestrian, just passive. Like just nothing, nothing to really get you, you know, particularly excited. Um, and part of that was just like I think. I think you're right, Matt. It was the imbalance in the squad. I think there wasn't to some. I mean, I guess some of that comes down to coaching. Like you you feel like a good coach can get any group of players to find ways to be a bit more expansive, to create patterns of play which will open up teams, etc. Kenny Jacket like had some good qualities, but that wasn't him. He was not gonna coach a team to do that. Like he would coach a team mm. to be resilient to tough it out and to hang in there, but he wasn't going to turn a bunch of sort of fairly defensive minded players into, you know, a, a, an attacking force. I mean, he just, it was, it, it was not, it was not for the job for him um, in that regard. He wasn't helped by the injuries that he had to, to first team players and his inability to call on what would have been like some of the most talented attacking players in the division by far, if they'd been fit. I mean, if you look at uh, uh, Phillips, Connolly and and Ramage, like if we'd had those three fit and in form for the season, then you, you would have high hopes of us scoring a lot more goals, I think, than, than we managed because they are clearly talented players and at that level, you'd expect them to deliver. But... Hmm. They either weren't fit or they were woefully out of form. I mean, I think Ramage, you already said he would sort of had to write him off. He'd not he'd not been right for a while. He'd had injuries as well. Um, and the problem with Ramage when he got injured was that you never felt like he was probably you had to you had to lower your expectations of how quickly he was going to recover <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from that injury. Uh, it's fair to say he had a bit of a reputation, uh, whether that's fair or not. With 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 Phillips, you know, we knew at the start of the season that he was out for the foreseeable, which is a real shame because he would have done. A, I think Phillips would have done a bit of damage at that level. Like if he'd had a, if he'd had yeah. more time, if he'd had, had him in the team for longer. He would have scored goals is, i think there's
1: well i mean he came back and scored those four goals in two yeah. games but that was that it was you it. know he didn't score any no. other goals. but you know it's, didn't play much outside of that that spouse so. no but yeah no i absolutely agree he was you know with the right foil would have been absolutely tailor-made to be you know top scorer in that division i would imagine
0: yeah yeah and they just struggled with those striking options again you know keith scott Coming in made a bit of a difference, but then they couldn't sign him and he went back um, uh, to his parent club. And, you know, it's the same old story a little bit, just sort of trying to search for a a solution. The the benefit of that is it gave Gifton his opportunity to start getting minutes in the first team, although he wasn't at 16 necessarily. You you wouldn't have ideally planned to have a 16-year-old starting as your main centre forward towards the end of the season. And then David Connolly, David Connolly's uh, final season at Watford. He, I think, I, I I felt a bit disappointed by this season. I was expecting him to, you know, be getting like twenty goals at this level, given the sort of reputation that he had given himself to some extent. Um, <laughs> I just I just expected more from him. I know he also had his injuries, but I just felt like this talented player in there. You'd hope that at this level, he was gonna. Ask teams more questions than he did, but it always again just felt like he was in a bit of a sulk like a few other players when he wasn't he was sort of waiting for things to happen for him. And that yeah, that whole I've got nothing to prove at this level did nothing to help him, I think, in terms of the perception that fans had of him at that time, in terms of whether or not he was really committed to the to the cause. And ultimately, I think as a fan. That, that does matter. Like it's, it might just be, you know, uh, hot air and um, uh, it, it might be nonsense, but you have to feel like the players want to be there and that they're really trying. And if you don't feel that, whether that's true or not, like, but it does, it does color your impression of them. And it certainly colored, I think my impression of that season with David Connolly, I just, I expected more from him and um, for whatever reason, uh, we didn't get it, and and it was you know that was it for him. Um, his his contract was uh, was running down, and he was angling for his move, wasn't he? So, um, uh, but a bit disapp- a bit disappointing having broken in and scored all those goals the season before. Would you ever? Would, were you a under as underwhelmed as me?
1: I think so. Yeah, I mean i I can. I think more than more than other Watford fans, I can kind of forgive some of the silly things that he said.
0: Yeah, uh, he's
1: he's eighteen. Um, looked about fifteen. Not that that, that makes any difference. Um, he, you know, I think he was excited about what he thought he would he he could do in his career, and and didn't see that that sticking around at Watford was was going to be the quickest way to 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 get to the top. Uh, yeah, I think he said some foolish things, and clearly. You know, didn't didn't apply himself in the way that we hoped that he would. Mm. So the season the season ultimately wasn't wasn't a success. But yeah, he got that big move, didn't he? So uh, fair play to him. I, I I don't I don't hate David Connolly the way that some the fans do. I kind of don't really think much of anything about him.
0: No, no, he wasn't there long enough to really have. A, and you know, he came through the youth team. You hoped that he would do great things. He had a few good moments and and then he was gone and that was you know that was it I think uh I, th- I think with you know he got a move to Feyenoord which was slightly out of left field I think uh I, I got the hmm. impression that I, I think I read or I've been told that Peter Reed was looking at him and was then persuaded to sign Phillips instead because I think Connolly was oh. one that there was obviously a lot of fuss around and you know lots of clubs were looking at Connolly but um and, and I think Sunderland had been looking at him um and Peter Reed was persuaded to sign Phillips instead and said, the rest is history. Um uh, and and Connolly <laughs> went off to to Fire and then um he had a good career after that. I mean he played for a lot of uh, uh, league clubs at a decent level. After that, and it didn't work. He did, yeah. Didn't didn't work out particularly well at final, but um, but it didn't hold him back too much in terms of his career after that. Coming back to this season, Wolford scored forty five goals in um in forty six matches, uh, which is the fifth worst in the league, and um, uh, two of the relegated teams scored more. So, uh, it's Mooney Mooney was top scorer with thirteen. Um, as I said, he was deployed in midfield a lot, and the next, and no one else got more than seven. So it was it was pretty miserly. But the defence did a did a good job, uh, and and that's why we you know, ultimately finished in clean mid table. And Kevin Miller, player of the season, with twenty five clean <laughs> sheets, which is which is remarkable. But you'd expect that given the amount of draws that we had. Hmm. Um, I I think it's a tough one for for Jacket, wasn't it? It was a tough, tough gig. And I think he ultimately got them through it to a point where there was then an opportunity to start to build again. And that's probably what this season was about. He didn't get to retain uh, control of the first team for very much longer because Graham Taylor, having been... Set up in the stands as general manager, and by all accounts, getting thoroughly bored, decided that now was the time for him to make his glorious return to to first team management. Um, <laughs> basically, that was it for Jack. It was like, all right, thank you, Kenneth. Now, uh, <laughs> you just you, kept you can sit down again, and I'll take it from here. Um, it was very like <laughs> I can't imagine, bit of a strange wasn't it? Because Luther was in charge, and then then Kenny and then uh, and then Taylor being like, right now, I'll just I'll show you how it's done. Now you just hmm. just uh, just let Dad do it uh, for a bit and uh, and we'll see how that goes. So yeah, I think despite it being a season of um, uh, beige and uh, forgettable football, obviously the return of Elton John at the end and Taylor announcing that Elton's coming home and petchi has gone a huge amount of excitement about that then followed by um by taylor giving it another crack of the whip in charge of the first team and announcing that he was going to be in charge for the for the for the next season i think it was it was hard not to be enthused about what might be to come despite what we just seen would you agree
1: yeah. yeah i absolutely would agree yeah whether it was my uh, the enthusiasm of youth or not but you know i was I was sure that the good things were ahead. Yeah. You know, Elton John, Graham Taylor back in, in, you know, in proper control now, both the two of them. Yeah. yeah you know, uh, and you know, as as you said, you know, the team, the team changed quickly around this point. When teams get relegated, they either shed their squad at that point, or it, as you say, it takes a transfer window or two. But you know, by the end of this season, we we've we've spoken about most of them there's a good kind of six to eight kind of first team players um, that are, that are out the door. This kind of Glenn Roder team has has disappeared like in the space of a season. Yeah. Uh, if you think how long it took Glen Roder to put his, you know, it took him a good sort of season and a half coming, getting on for two seasons, two seasons for it to feel like his team and not, not one that he'd inherited from Perryman. Well, you know, Roder's team has been th- dismantled sort of in record time and, and it was up to up to Taylor to to build not quite from zero, but you know, he was gonna have to make some canny signings, players that were gonna have to go straight into the first team. Yeah. Um, there were some sizable holes left from the players that, uh, that that were let go or you know, released or sold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um obviously the other we've mentioned a few of those already. I think Phillips, we know, then departed this summer. Uh to Sunderland for not a huge amount of money but I think I mean, it was a bit of a source of frustration at times I think he immediately started scoring a lot of goals and people thought oh, well, we should have got more money for him but the reality was he was a third tier striker with a bad injury record at that time who hadn't really put a consistent run of form together so although the fact that we all sort of knew deep down that there was a pretty useful player in there i don't think people knew exactly what kevin phillips would would go on to, to to achieve and the fact that he would then form this incredible partnership with niall quinn at sunderland i suppose that was the bit for me that, that hurt the mm. most because i you know we always felt like if you could pair him with the right guy yeah. uh, he would score and, and niall finn became niall quinn became the ultimate um foil for him and uh and boy, did they do some damage together um, in in the first division and in the Premier League. So, um, uh, but you know, a, a terrific signing for Watford, ten grand from Bulldock or whatever it was. Um, uh, scored some scored some good goals for us. Ultimately, we didn't get the best out of him because of injuries, and uh, uh, he went on to have a great career. So, um, so we're part of part of his story. But, uh, but he didn't have a, you know, in terms of a greater impact on Watford, I suppose it was fairly minimal. A last few things I think are worth pointing out about this season outside of Watford. This was um, notable for, you already uh, talked about Kevin Keegan's re- retirement. Man United win the title again ahead of Newcastle. Uh, Eric Cantona announces his surprise retirement at the age of thirty. So um, uh, that was a bit of a, a bolt from the blue. Obviously, had a very troubled uh, a, a career, but had you know achieved his sort of peak years at Manchester United, and then out of nowhere called it a day. And and the other thing that I really sticks in the mind about this season, is Middlesbrough—they they got relegated uh, from the Premier League uh, despite reaching both cup finals. And this is the season where they would have they would have stayed up uh, but for a three-point deduction um, which they got from uh, basically they just failed to complete a match against Blackburn um, and they they didn't get it postponed with enough notice and so they were docked three points for it uh, and that's what got them relegated so um, a real signal for Borough. Lastly I think you know culturally in terms of where we are now as we sort of look ahead to the the final stages of sort of final third of the decade. Um, this is this is the 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 summer that you know the end of this season, Mark. The uh, the end of the Conservatives' long period in charge, with Labour winning the general election in May with a landslide majority, and Tony Blair becoming Prime Minister. Uh, can you remember that, Matt?
1: I don't remember the specific moment
0: of it happening. No, Not. it's that's that's. Are you still a bit gone. young? I d- young for um, that or you just weren't interested at the time
1: no I, I was interested I just don't have a strong memory of sort of the result being announced okay. or anything I think my my memories of that area uh, of that era have um have just become imprinted on my brain uh, from watching television stuff and you know their, their false memories are, are not not actually my memories yeah. but I do remember the great kind of enthusiasm uh in the country for for this this political change and uh, it, it just interact w- interacted with and, and matched up with so many other things that were happening in in sport and in culture and stuff like that. It, it just felt it felt unstoppable. I think at the time, and um, just felt like it was just something that was destined to happen.
0: Yeah, I, w- I remember it because I was uh, I kept over at my mate's house. So it was at the sort of end of we're getting towards the end of our school years, uh, A levels, and. Uh, I I think our mates have been playing in their sort of end of season game. Um, uh, the local, like our, our mates playing for a local team. And so we've gone to watch that. And then everyone had gone around someone's house afterwards for some beers. And then I'd gone to get my mates. And I remember him waking me up in the morning and, and telling me that um, hmm. uh, what had happened. And we were like, oh, does this mean like everything's going to change? Because just because because it's all we would known like i'd been born yeah margaret thatcher was uh come to power i think when i the year i was born and then uh, just all i'd known was conservatives being in charge so um so it was a big deal it was a big deal just the fact that someone else was was going to be in charge um and it felt like a real like uh, seismic moment at the end of at the end of uh that season um uh, obviously we're towards the end of the decade but um uh, yeah it was it was something i think at the end of that at the end of that season as we are sort of looking looking forward uh and feeling you know that change was afoot change was afoot indeed yes
1: i think that that kind of brings us to the end of our look back at 96 97 a season probably best forgotten in the most part but but hopefully we've brought to life there some of the more interesting storylines uh, on the pitch and off it That that made it an important season In Watford's 90s So um, I think that's it from me So thank you very much for listening Thank you to you Michael Thank you uh, We'll have another episode coming up very soon If you have any memories of any of the seasons Yet to come Or or indeed any any thoughts about Watford in the 90s More generally Then please keep them coming to us We're on Twitter at OhMyWordPodum uh, and we love to get involved with that sort of thing and, and, and hear some of your memories and your stories and, and your Watford nights. is, so uh, thank you very much and we'll see you next time On the left foot, and in oh my word and an old boy comes home to haunt